the Scale Well Podcast. How to use technology to scale your business. Interviewing thought leaders and wellness. Here we go. Welcome to the Scale Well Podcast. My name is Phil Bean. I'm here with Matt Gamble. Uh, we're two of the founders of Nudge Coach, an easy-to-use client management platform for your wellness business. Um, and today, we have a special guest with us. Um, if you've ever thought about launching a digital model to work with your clients in your business, then you're in the right place. You don't want to miss this conversation. Um, welcoming in our friend, uh, Jason Deutsch from Prevamedica. Prevamedica is a health and technology business that connects individuals to health professionals like dietitians. Um, what a novel concept. So we're excited to have Jason in with us. How are you doing, Jason? Good, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Well, Jason, I know Phil gave a pretty good little two-sentence description, but would love to kind of hear the story from you about Prevamedica, how it was started, what was the pain point, how did you all take it from, you know, just kind of the conceptualization phase to where you are now? Sure. Uh, well, it's quite a long story, but um, just to speak towards the origins of it, it kind of began organically. Um, I was working and I, I still do um, work uh, a lot for a medical laboratory. And as an extension service, um, they provided, um, I guess, consulting for, for tests. So physicians would um, send their patients to the laboratory to get a kind of a test results review. Um, around four or five years ago, I, I kind of began, uh, began to be involved with a, a different project that was trying to take, um, I guess, lifestyle medicine to, to a broader population. There was a, an original version that didn't quite come to manifestation. And then I was kind of struck with the idea of, you know, seeing um, health professionals consult with people over the phone and said, well, why don't we just put that online? And there's a lot of people out there who obviously suffer from chronic disease or those who just simply have um, some health goals that they would still like to accomplish. What year was that anyway? Uh, that was, well, we didn't get started until the end of about 2011. Mm -hmm. So starting around 2011, are, are we talking about like the, the big technology that's driving this is the telephone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, at, at that point, I think telemedicine, had just began to become a thing. Um, you know, no one had really ventured and, and still to this day, few, few venture into the, I guess, more lifestyle or, or chronic space. What, um, so 2011, what was the kind of first version of this as you were putting it together? Has it I'm sure it's morphed and evolved dramatically since, since then. Yeah, the, the first version was, um, you know, I think at the time I was quoting Benjamin Franklin or whoever actually <laughs> said the quote, but it was the, uh, you know, do what you can with what you have now um, kind of philosophy. So I ended up, well, for first I realized that, you know, I'm not a clinician, obviously. So as far as any <clears throat> decision making that's going to affect someone's life or nutrition or anything related to their health, that, that can't come from, from someone as myself. So it was very imperative to uh, bring in uh, a few healthcare providers to really kind of lead that. And as a quick aside for anyone considering, I guess, getting into this space, it's really important to know where you should draw a line between maybe your business and your marketing and the stuff that's interfacing with patients if your business interfaces with patients. That's a really good point. I think that's something, you know, it can be a really valuable key to everybody. But um, as you were putting this together, you know, so you kind of, you saw this pain point, you kind of identified the first steps. Phil kind of pointed out, you probably, telephonic was probably a key aspect at that point as well. Um, 
you know, I think you've been going for about five years now. What were kind of some of the early lessons you learned as you kind of put out that first version, kind of the MVP, you take something to market, you know, did you feel like you, you took something to market that was pretty spot on? You feel like you were a little bit off? I mean, what are some of the lessons you learned through that process? Well, I think anything in this space, you know, the hardest thing is to get your communication right. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you're marketing consumers who are aware of going to the doctor, going to the gym. Um, but if you bring to them a kind of a solution in the health space, that's not part of the norm. There's a big disconnect. So, you know, initially it was kind of answering the existential question, who are we, what exactly are we doing in, in such a way that, that someone can quickly grasp in a, in a blink off your homepage. Um, that was the biggest challenge at first. And it's something that we're still working really hard to, to evolve. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a challenge I'm very familiar with for sure. We had to do, you know, everyone who starts a business has to go through that phase and it can be even more challenging um, in the kind of lifestyle medicine realm that, that you're speaking to. Where did a lot of those early consumers come from? And can you talk a little bit about where they came from and who those people were? who were coming in in the early days and how you were able to get them in the door? Wow. I have to, I have to think back <laughs> quite a ways now. Um, you know, so our, our progression was, you know, both figuring out our message, but also figuring out our channels. So we, we got started in the direct consumer space, which we were able to actually get some early customers. Uh, we, we didn't quite find like a, a big stream or a reliable source initially. Um, but what really helped us kind of come into the next step was actually providing um, services through other clinics who didn't do what we did, but thought their patients should have that service uh, as well. Um, and that was, I guess, after two years in or so, we were able to to start doing that. And that was a big period of discovery for the business. So your main channel partner was really working through providers to get kind of referrals into the business? <coughs> Yeah, well, that's what it was at, at that time. You know, since that time, we've we've gotten a little more kind of channel agnostic. And, you know, right now we're actually refining our approaches to different channels, namely um, kind of employee benefits and right. corporate wellness services. So, yeah, for anyone that's listening to this too, and I think we get a lot of questions through Nudge of people wondering through, you know, how to, how to find clients and grow their business. You know, do you recommend kind of going the, the practitioner route kind of as a referral source, you know, working with complementary practitioners? Is that something you recommend or have you found it was kind of a kind of sludge to get through and you've now been exploring other channels? What, what's kind of worked the best for you all? Well, I think it really depends. Um, as far as anyone who might be considering this for, for their own business, um, I, you really have to understand your product and your service. You have to understand the nature of the practitioners you're going to. Um, if you're going to a family medicine practitioner, it's going to be quite different than one who's functional medicine. Um, for example, each practice has a different, I guess, um, operational practicalities um, and a different uh, patient base that are going to be receptive to some messages and, and not to others, um, especially along anything having to do with technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the beauty of finding the right channel partner is obviously you know, tapping into a source where your ideal customer is, but it, at the same time, that can also be the, the disaster scenario for a channel partner where if you tap into the wrong market, that's none of your ideal customers. So, <laughs> um, it's a double-edged sword for sure. We're yeah. familiar with it. Yeah. We, we've gone, um, we've experienced both sides of that in our business as well, um, working with uh, partners in the industry. So, uh, we know that well for sure, but once you started, you know, getting this influx of, of business, 
Um, what did the kind of back-end development look like? Like, how did the technology platforms that you were using grow over time? Yeah, there's actually quite an interesting story there. <laughs> so, um, as far as, um, you know, who, were, who we began initially connecting um, consumers to were registered dietitians. And, and we chose them because of their, um, you know, state licensure, scrapper practice, their establishment in the industry, so forth and so on. And I remember it was probably two weeks in, like, or three weeks in after having our first customer and, and someone was working on like a, a nutrition plan for, for that individual. And I asked them what they're doing, what's involved in it, and how long it takes. And I found out that that process, and this is true for all nutrition health professionals, <laughs> it seems to be at least, that it took eight to 10 hours per, mm -hmm. per person, which... Um, doesn't scale well. Right, right, right. That's crazy. It doesn't <laughs> so every well. professional on staff is going through that exact same process with clients. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and we, we tried to solve the problem without development on, a, on our own, um, just for the sake of time. And we, we used a piece of software that I can't name because I have nothing good to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we, we began developing uh, just an in-house tool to help um, do that and that allowed us to gradually start walking that time back from mm -hmm. eight to ten hours and we got it down to four like there were a lot of big gains up front did you all solve did y'all address that pretty early or had, had it gotten to a point there was kind of a bottleneck with the business and you said okay this is absolutely holding us back we're unable to grow um, we, didn't, we didn't let it stop us but before we even started i said we started in november end of november 2011 before that the three months before that when we we're planning like it was it was kind of obvious that mm -hmm. that was going to be an issue. Um, so we had this long hunt for, for software and we were trying to basically abuse different pieces of software to get them to do what we wanted and it didn't work. So we, we succumbed to that. <laughs> I, I can only imagine between the three of us, like how much time do you think is spent just trying to find the right tools? Oh yeah. <laughs> Try to piece them all together. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Always a problem comes up and we're like, okay, we need to do a Google search. Like how do we solve, you know, whether it's like, you know, handling commission payments or yeah. it's like, how do we get leads to go from here to there to there? And it's like everyone's used, starting to use Infusionsoft and those kinds of platforms yeah. now and no one knows how to use those tools to begin with. So it's just kind of a really funny problem. So that's what we're here for, right? Yeah. yeah. Nutrition so, plans do not scale well. Nutrition plans <laughs> don't scale well. There you go. So you all, you all handled that pretty, you got it addressed pretty early on. You are able to streamline that process. You said it was taking up to how many, eight to 10 hours is that what you said? Yeah, exactly. It's 10 hours. And um, just to bring you to, to current, we're around five, 10 to 15 minutes uh, now. That is amazing. That's yes. <laughs> I can't even do the math on that in my head. Yeah, it, yeah. Like, 90x or something. Right, right. <laughs> that's, uh, that's amazing. So is that, what are, so, at this point, you know, I'm sure you all started adopting other tools as well, you know, nutrition planning. I know Private Medical offers kind of a suite of different services, not just all kind of vanilla, one type of service. Right. You know, there are other, other kind of cool, neat tools that have come up that have really helped you all be effective and scale well. Yeah. Uh, well, <clears throat> I guess just to round out the story of our nutrition software, uh, we ended up discovering that it was useful to us. It's useful to other practitioners. So we're rebuilding that for a public release, which is kind of an interesting story. Right. Fantastic. Right. Yeah. Um, but so... We do interface with clients largely through video. So we have, um, we ended up just building our own 
Rails application for, you know, scheduling, booking, connecting with your professional and managing notes and, you know, so forth and so on. Inside of that, we use a third-party HIPAA-compliant video chat system, oh, nice. which, is, which has been nice um, because anything having to do with healthcare, we take a very conservative stance. Um, so just being able to, for now, not worry about that because this company is taking care of it is quite nice, although... Uh, we're, we're fingers crossed waiting for WebRTC to become adopted <laughs> so we have a, an in-browser video stream. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and more recently, we've, we've begun using the Nudge platform, which has been great because it allows us to extend that relationship mm -hmm. um, into daily life in a way that's more natural. Um, so that's been a huge boost and has actually kind of changed the way that we look at scaling and the way that we look at um, managing populations, especially through an employer. So I guess those, those three things are kind of yeah. our, our main, our main arrows. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, I know you've been talking about some of those platforms for a while, like WebRTC, and I'm excited to see kind of where that goes. I think we're just, we're approaching a day now where the whole idea of having <laughs> to work with someone knee to knee or face to face, you know, you don't have to build a business around that. I think we're even starting to see on our side, more people trying to really more practitioners trying to create, you know, scalable businesses they can launch from their house to have clients in, you know, cities across America, you know, to increase their, you know, target market, um, you know, allows the opportunity to start, you know, really branding yourself and focusing on kind of the marketing and the web presence. So it's kind of a new generation. I feel like a practitioner coming up more of a tech enabled practitioner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And allowing your, or enabling yourself to scale your audience in that way also allows you to be more, even more focused, right? You can yeah. be more targeted and reach the right amount of people just from the sheer scale of being able to project yourself all over the world. Mm -hmm. well, one, one question I have for you, Jason, because I think we see this question a little bit too, is kind of when you're creating a digital model, you know, I think that it's almost can be so open-ended this day and age, like what, what that really entails. Did you have any issues of kind of really solidifying what that offering was? You know, what was going to, what was Prev and Medica really going to offer? How did you really hone that in? So it wasn't just, Hey, we're in your pocket. You can message us, you can video us sometimes, but you know, how did you really package that in a pretty concise way? Yeah, sure. Well, n no one cares about features. So just because you can do a thing doesn't mean anyone's going to care. doesn't mean it's going to provide value. Um, you know, so our, our process and I guess largely my process has always just been to collect good feedback, whether that's qualitative from your customers or, or quantitative from whatever analytics platforms you, you might be using um, and keep an open and objective mind. <laughs> <laughs> the the yeah. digital experience only works kind of, it's kind of like currency. It only works in so far as someone really believes it. Um, right. You do have to sell that a lot more sell that experience a lot more than let's say a physical location, a retail space where someone's inside of it, they're, they're immersed and they can't help but recognize mm -hmm. um, their surroundings. You know? it, so I think one thing that's interesting and usually comes up is sometimes we have to educate people like the, the tech models, the digital models, it, it doesn't have to be synonymous with cheap. You know, you can still create a lot of, you know, introduce and create a lot of value from a digital model like you all do connecting clinicians it doesn't have to be a discounted program. It's certainly more scalable for the most part, but it doesn't have to be something that's cheap in any way. So, yeah, there's, there's always going to be someone who wants whatever you're selling for less. So if you, <laughs> you start doing that, right. you know, you're off for this discount and you pick up these people and you've kind of maxed that out maybe. 
Um, Because what you haven't done is you haven't refined your message appropriately. Mm -hmm. Um, You launched this pretty, I feel like you launched this business pretty early, um, kind of relative to what's going on in the market right now. You're seeing a lot more in kind of telemedicine and telehealth now and over the past year, but you were really kind of ahead of the game. You know, how did you even go about pricing or building your model? I mean, I think that's maybe one thing a lot of people have questions about is just simply, where do I start? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I guess I can say a few concrete things. First, don't read a textbook. I did that. I read <laughs> yeah. the strategies and tactics of pricing. Uh, it was very expensive. It was like a university <laughs> textbook. Um, that didn't help. <laughs> um, so pick a price and have, have a way of measuring someone's response because your, you know, your message is going to be your value proposition plus your price plus whatever brand you've been able to establish for yourself. And put that out there. Make sure the right people are seeing it and measure the response. Um, and try to build in for yourself a little bit of time to, to play with those numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, try out different prices um, and see if you get changes in engagement. Um, and when you're doing that, don't, don't just look for the sale because it's easy to to miss the, the right path um, just because you didn't get the sale. There might be something else that didn't cause that. So it's better to look for strong engagement metrics um, mm-hmm. than it is anything else. And of course, to have enough people able to look at it. Um, but so if you're having you a- this multiple times now, but you've, you've mentioned metrics probably a dozen times. And I think when, it, you know, and I, I, knew, I can absolutely relate because everything we do, we're always, I'm probably pestering Phil, you know, what are the numbers? What are the numbers? What are the metrics behind, you know, everything, site traffic leads, you know, all of the kind of basic things you'd expect. But what, I mean, how are some of the ways in which you're kind of measuring effectiveness on your end? Because I think that's another key piece of all of this is, you know, making sure you're actually seeing what's working, what's not, and being able to quickly identify, okay, you know, which pieces need to be tweaked or adjust in different ways? Sure. I guess it depends by, by what dimension you're asking. But for us, <clears throat> you know, there's the, there's the marketing side, there's the customer experience, which is how they feel um, the service went. And then there's more of an objective outcome since we are dealing with um, folks who have health goals. We can measure changes in weight. We can measure changes in certain other biomarkers that are, are, are going to be very informative. Um, but on that, on that marketing side, making sure, well, once you have enough people, then you can try out different things. Um, so for us, we've tested so many, so many different things <laughs> yeah. down to different pictures of people and different headlines and different layouts of content and less or more different descriptions of what we do, um, different calls to action, um, different kind of, I guess, secondary uh, conversions uh, as well. So there's not really an end-all, end-all, be-all sort of metric, but if you can, if you can give somebody your value proposition, show them the way to, I guess, purchase, but put something in the middle that lets them kind of show you that they're interested in enough to do something, and that something might be give you their email address in exchange for more information about your product or more information about the value of your service. That's a really great place to start. Yeah, awesome. And on the thinking about things from a marketing perspective, um, do you find that, you know, in, in that process, do you try to collect more and more information to see exactly how valuable a certain thing might be? Do you measure basically how valuable a thing an offer you put out there is by how much information you can get off a person? Um, 
I guess I don't, I, I haven't looked at things that way. And I think part of my, my approach is, I, I remember when I first was getting um, more experience in marketing, I actually wrote a very dumb blog post that you'll never find. You think it's going to change the world and you yeah. have three readers. Yep. Yeah. It was my version of live journal. Um, but it was, it was basically making the argument that digital experiences are real experiences. And just because it's on the web doesn't mean it's somehow less human. Um, and I, I, it was like an open-ended letter to like a fictional sales director saying that when you put the lead form in front of your clients and you have 25 questions on there, um, like that's not something you would do in real life. You wouldn't end a, a prospecting phone call with what's your name, what's your address, what's your zip code, what's your business address and your fax number and how did you hear about me and like that, that you don't do that that's weird and you wouldn't even think not to do that but when you put things in the web and you make it digital sometimes i feel like people lose their minds and forget there's a human there um so i think that is such great advice because you see people do things on their website sometimes to you know engage the audience or capture a lead that make you scratch your head and say like Imagine if you were sitting down with this person, what are you thinking? <laughs> yeah. So I think it's probably something that resonates with a lot of people. Yeah, I think that's, you know, if I had advice for anyone listening, it's, it's think of your website as a conversation with whoever's visiting it. Um, so that's a, that's a great point. So Jason, I kind of transitioning off that, I wanted to bring up a question that I get asked every now and then for sure about people that come to us asking yeah. about digital, especially health service businesses is, really just can a digital health service business be sticky enough? And if so, like what are the key things that you guys do on your side to make that possible? Because there's an inherent challenge there. Like someone's not coming into the door and it's not part of their routine that they're used to experiencing in healthcare and wellness. Mm -hmm. um, how do you piece together something on the digital side that is sticky enough? That's a good question. Uh, I think health is, you know, health services are, are kind of an interesting thing. Um, no one wants them. Yeah. Uh, at least in the sense of you don't, it's like no one wants to go to the hospital. No one wants to yeah. have the circumstances that would lead them to that. If they had a choice, they just wouldn't have that problem in the first place. Um, obviously that's, that's not, not the case. I mean, obesity and chronic disease is very high. Um, so these types of services are absolutely crucial, um, for helping folks out. But I, I think to make it sticky is to make sure that you're giving them value in between the service, uh, that they can kind of count on you for good information or, or good content. Um, don't let that experience be one dimensional. So don't treat it like a product where you have your little product, you give it to them and you're done. Um, <laughs> make sure that you keep that, that relationship and part of that relationship might be just building trust, maintaining it, um, and I guess waiting. Because um, yeah. people might come back um, over time, but you know, just recognize that you're, they, don't want, they don't want you in their life every day. They want you to help them solve their problem, and if you can do that, you'll be a hero for them. Um, and just focus on that trust. So it might not feel like it's sticky at times, but you, you can be surprised where three years later that first you, that person calls you again. And you found out they, they never really left, as it were. Yeah. Um, they were just very happy with the services they got, and they were doing well for a while, and, and now they're back for, for right. some reason. Sometimes just just to say hello. We've had flowers sent to the office before, so 
Um, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's <laughs> a great feeling if you start working with somebody and you know you hate to see a customer leave, but to see them come back shows that I think you you really made that impact. And it, maybe it's just their needs change, whether it's you know a person their you know their health needs changed and they you know turned the corner, they were doing better, and then they all of a sudden had another episode or something they needed to do. But I know we always so it's a great feeling when a person comes back because it means you did something right the first time. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's okay to check in. So we're, we're looking into kind of checking up on folks at a, at different intervals after they've sort of graduated from us. That's how we look at it. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and actually we're, we're using nudge to, to really facilitate that because that, that makes that, uh, reach out process really easy. Um, and it, it feels a lot more personal than a, than an email. So. Awesome. Well, it's great to hear you say that. that's why, why we do it. But I think it's, yeah, to your point, I think just regular touch points and building that relationship. I think it resonates with, it should resonate with everybody as you're looking at, you know, both client management, but also your marketing process as well. You know, it's just kind of regular touch points to those people who have, you know, shown some kind of interest in your product or been to your website, you know, just kind of staying front and center of them, top of mind, I think is always critical. Yeah. But, um, and you know, when scaling a technology business, one thing to keep in mind is that it's, it's always still got to feel like and be a legitimate relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, like, just like a website is like a conversation, you know, those touch points are real follow up touch points. They are a conversation yeah. as well. And to look at them that way and not like, <clears throat> you're, you know, just blasting an email to a group of people. Right, right, right. Making everything personal. The, um, I was trying to think any other big questions we've had that have come to us from, you know, customers down, you know, in the past. I think you covered most of the ones we've heard. And just kind of as a quick summary, most of the top kind of big questions we hear from people trying to launch more of a digital offering. It's really, you know, how to find clients, which we've touched a little bit on the marketing side. And I think to Jason's point, you know, try to make sure you're measuring, measuring as much as you can. I think that's a key aspect of marketing. That way you can actually see what pieces are working, what's not. It's tough to revamp your entire process, but you got to kind of pick and choose little pieces at a time. Um, price point, I think you touched on that nicely. Just kind of, you have to, you have to take something to market. I know one thing we've heard before is just the value in your first couple customers to really get testimonials from. So kind of do, you know, certainly don't sell yourself short, but do what you can to get the first couple just so you can start, whether it's logos on your website or quotes, I'm sure you all, I, I can only imagine, I don't want to get too deep into the details, but the first customer you ever worked with, I'm sure you probably used a testimonial or a quote here and there. No, I know we've, we've do that as often as yep, we can. Absolutely. Um, and then creating an actual offering. So I think, you know, what actually goes into a digital offering is also something that comes up pretty frequently for us is just, you know, whether it's, you know, Mac, what should we include with Nudge, you know, is what kind of content do we need to be sending weekly newsletters? Do we need to have a content library somewhere? And I think that's always an interesting thing. I don't know if you, you all wrestle with that internally or not. I mean, everyone's asking that question if they need a content library or a newsletter and you know, just having the equipment doesn't, doesn't mean you're going to be successful. Um, so just to, I guess, say something different, but to address that one problem that I see a lot of, you know, we're, I guess we're a bit larger. We're not like a solo, I guess, practitioner trying to, to do that. But, but one insight that I do have is what I see over and over again are services that have a long list of bullet points. They have 25 things that they're trying to package together. And the, I, I guess the thinking is, if I can just add more stuff to this, that's going to increase the perception of value and it's going to be a better deal and, and uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I've always found that to not be the case. It's far better to have uh, a very clear value message on 
a few things that you're doing. Maybe sometimes it's best just for that to be one. And then the other thing that you're, that happens with that is you're now asking someone to make up their mind about more things. So you've actually complicated that yeah. process. Choice paralysis. Yeah. See it on websites all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's I think, a great lesson to leave people with. Um, well, I, Jason, really appreciate this. I think this is going to be just a, a great piece of content for, for people to kind of refer back to if they ever have questions, if they're trying to get some kind of digital offering off the ground. I think it's something that comes up in our conversations pretty frequently, and we even try to you know, help out or provide as much information on this as we can. But I think you having gone through the experience and you know, for several years and kind of probably encountering most of the pain points have, have probably shared some just incredible knowledge tonight. So I appreciate that. Well, my Thanks. pleasure. It's fun. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Jason. So, um, how can people check you out at Previ Medica? What are some places we can go to Previ Medica and learn more? Uh, well, you can find us at previmedica.com. Um, a lot of people spell that P R E V I M E D I C A. Definitely a, a good sounding name for us, but we didn't realize the, the phonetical challenges of that. <laughs> well, I wanted to make sure you spelled it just because I know if you just said it to me, I'd probably misspell it. So. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Jason Deutsch. Um, check him out at prevamedica.com. Um, also, please check out the Scale Well podcast on iTunes Stitcher. Please subscribe, rate us. We'd love to hear what you think. And thanks a lot for being with yeah. us, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks.